A reading according to the gospel. A reading from the gospel according to Matthew. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am always with you to the end of the age. Now, a reading from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind. Just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or, you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Now, I, I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For in one spirit you were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. The word of the Lord. How many of you believe in the Holy Spirit? Good. How many of you believe in baptism? Good. That makes all of us, therefore, Pentebaptisterians. That's very important. Because when we travel, and when I travel from here to over there, we are naming ourselves, in effect, as Pentebaptisterians for a number of reasons. A couple of weeks ago at our Village Fest, Pastor Jack began our fall sermon series on life together, what it means to be community. And he spoke about this piece of liturgical furniture, the pulpit, the Word of God, of how we are made community by the authority of the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Old and New Testament the authoritative witness that witnesses to the living word, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, whose words and speech are authoritative for all of life, for all of faith. This word that tells us who we are, whose we are, 
tells us about sin, tells us about grace, tells us about faith, hope, and love. Pastor Jack then invited us to consider this table, that our life together as a community is to be found at this table. In many faith communities around the world, in many denominations, it is at this location in the worship, in the worship space and in the worship life, that is the centerpiece of what faith is about, of what church is about. That at this table, the Lord Jesus Christ is both host and guest. This is the place where the Spirit uses the ordinary elements of bread and cup to reassure us of of faith, to feed us, to nourish us, to nurture us in our life's journey. It's at this table that is connected to all other tables, whether it be the Starbucks table where we enjoy coffee with a friend, whether it be the dining room table in in our kitchen or in our home, whether it be the boardroom where you make negotiations and contracts with clients. At those tables, this table connects you to the Lord, and the Lord is connected to you and with you. And it's at this table that the family of God partakes of bread and cup. Today, we travel to the baptismal font. This part of the liturgical furniture that is so meaningful and so formative that historically Christian communities have understood that even before you could come to the table, you have to come to the font, to the waters. That to come to the family table, the entrance or the invitation to the table happens first at these waters. At the prior service, this font was empty and I had a pitcher of water and I poured it. And you could hear the splash and see the splash. And whenever that I have a confirmation class or a departmental retreat, there's always a bowl of water, an empty bowl of water with a pitcher, to which I say, we are now gathered in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so if you would permit me, without the pitcher, let me say once again, we are gathered in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please join me in prayer. Father, may the words of my mouth and meditations and thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. For it is in Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Baptism. Baptism, which for all of its meaning and its shape and its history, this location this piece of furniture ought to be, ought to be a place of unity. Ought to be a place where all divisions cease, where all conflicts end. But in fact, we know that this has been called as one of the most divisive places, one of the most divisive points in church life. Imagine the centuries of fighting over what actually happens here. Who gets to be baptized? Can infants be baptized? Can you be baptized or should you be baptized at the age of 12? Maybe you need to be an adult to be fully cognizant of of the scriptures and of theology. Or even the shape of the the font. Should it be in the ground? Should it be a huge pool? Should it be a bowl? Should it be at the river? Should it be at the lake? Or maybe even the method? Should it be by 
asperges, which is an olive branch, or in some places, a holy stick that is then splashed on? Should it be by sprinkling? And how many sprinkles should you do? One, or two, or three? Should it be poured by effusion? And how many times should you do that? Should it be by a pitcher? What kind of pitcher? Ceramic, porcelain, plastic? If by immersion, where should the immersion occur? And how long should the person be immersed and marinated? Should they be dunked? One, two, or three? Is halfway up here at the waist, all the way to the head, or fully covered? You get my point. In fact, in fact, in the life of the Christian community, and here I'm speaking about Presbyterians and Roman Catholics, it wasn't until 2013, six years ago, that a, an ecumenical agreement, a major agreement of Roman Catholics and Presbyterians and Reformed churches came to what is called the mutual recognition of baptism, which essentially said, after 500 years of fighting over this, over this, we can now finally recognize each other as sisters and brothers in Christ. Amen? Amen. After 500 years since the so-called Protestant Reformation, it took that long of arguing and talking and praying and talking and talking. And that's why when our confirmation class this last year went to the Church of the Nativity here in town, all of the six young teenagers as they were listening to, uh, to Father Duncanson, talk about the baptismal font, they were like, wow, do you now recognize me as a sister in Christ? And Father Duncanson and I said, yes. Unfortunately, though, this is still a point of contention. It may take another 500 years for all of us to be able to share in the Lord's table, but that's for another sermon. But this point of contention and of division, the baptismal font, and that's why the Apostle Paul in the text that, that Rick read, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians. There in chapter 12, verse 13, of all of us are one in Christ. All of us have been baptized by the Spirit, Jews and Greeks, slave and free. All of us are one body, right? He'll, he'll speak about this again in Ephesians. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And he wants to be sure, the Apostle Paul wants to be sure that the communities at Corinth understood it's not because of Pastor Paul. It's not because of Pastor Apollos. It's not because of Pastor Timothy or Pastor Barnabas. It's not because of Pastor Jack, Pastor Jan, Pastor Neil. It's not about us. It's about God. In fact, the late Methodist worship scholar Lawrence Hull Stuckey had a little book called Baptism, subtitled Christ Act in the Church. Christ is doing something in baptism. And that's what Paul is saying in Corinth. Don't have your allegiance to Pastor Paul, Pastor Apollos, because it's about Christ. Christ is using your pastors or your priests to share the love of God so that you can realize and discover you all, we all, are community committed to Jesus, committed to serving God and to being a part of God's mission. I know Pastor Jack and Janan can share with me many stories that we as pastors have have received when that phone rings. And the other person on the other line will say, can you do my baby? Or can you do my child? And I ask, what, you know, what exactly are you asking? 
And the other person on the other line will say, oh, you know, can you just do the thing that you all do? The this. Just, you know, quickly. Okay? Upon asking on the phone, I say usually, yeah, we could do what you're suggesting. You mean baptism. But baptism is not a private act. Right? That there's a reason why the font is in full display of the whole church and is in the sanctuary. It's not in one of our offices. It's not in our offices. It's not in a closet. It's not tucked away in the corner. It is in full view of everyone. And I usually ask, if we baptize your child, will we see you next week? And there's usually a long pause. 50% 50, 50 of the time, there's a long pause. And they'll say, we'll think about it. The other 50% will say, oh, thank you very much. Maybe we'll just ask the Catholic Church down the road, or in the other town, or some other church, or hire a, a private online minister. But what we invariably have to tell folks is that what happens at this font, what happens at this, with these waters is, it's not just about the person being baptized. That what is happening here is not just about what happened to Daniel William Rett a few minutes ago. It is about him, but it is about us, and it is about what the Lord, what Jesus Christ is doing in us and through us because of this ordinary water that is made extraordinary. It is about the community of faith. So we know, we know that when the scriptures say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, or in the longer version in the gospel according to Mark, the ending of Mark, the longer version where it says, go therefore and preach the good news. When they put those two together, go therefore, make disciples, preach the good news, we know what the calling is, right? The calling is go. Because the love and hope of God and Jesus Christ has been given to you and to me, let's go. Let's tell as many people and the Lord will make disciples, the Lord will make followers. Our responsibility is to share. Christ died, Christ rose again, Christ lived, died, rose again, and will come again to judge the living and the dead, as we'll confess in a few moments in the Apostles' Creed. We know those things. Go therefore, so that the Spirit can make disciples. And as he makes disciples, then baptize in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We know those. Because in baptism, God is naming you and me as sons and daughters of God. God is naming you and me. Now we know that. We know it in our heads, perhaps in our hearts. But we find it difficult to either go therefore or to believe that the Spirit can really make disciples, can make disciples of someone who perhaps we regard as so evil or someone who is just so unchurched or overchurched that they may be beyond God's redemption, God's salvation. We wonder, is it possible? Is it possible? We have a heart issue. There's a heart issue that somehow prevents us or stifles us from really with passion and love to, to share and to believe, wow, God really loves you and me. God is claiming me. There's something powerful about baptism that says you don't have to know all of the verses in Scripture. You don't need to know all of your theology and everything else because God is doing something so marvelous. God is claiming you already. God is claiming you as his own. 
Well, here's the heart issue. We find it hard, really, to believe that, that what happens here has such paramount importance, has, is, is pivotal to our life and faith because our identities have been hijacked. Our identities have been hijacked. There are so many things and so many places, so many people who tell us what we ought to be and what we ought to do. You know, a village church, a village church is, we are 63 years old. And of the 63 years, 56 of those years is village church preschool. We started the 56th year just last week of the preschool. More than 140 kids, therefore 140 families. Whenever we gather once a month in Briggs Chapel, and at the end of the year we gather here in the sanctuary, the preschool teachers and I are very, very prayerful in telling the children, who are ages two, two, three, four, and some of them five, many of whom will see at Vacation Bible School, but maybe half don't belong to a church, and maybe in 20 years they'll call us on the phone to say, can, can we have our wedding in the sanctuary? The preschool teachers and I tell the children, as you grow up, as you go to elementary school and all the way to college and whatever you'll be doing afterwards, you, your work, whether maybe some of you will be married, maybe some of you will have children, grandchildren, etc. God names you as sons and daughters of His. That you are so loved already. You don't need to prove anything. That's what we tell them. You are so loved. You are so deeply loved by this God who knew you even before you were a little baby. And as you grow up, this God who made you so beautiful calls you his child. See, the difficulty part, the difficult part for all of us, us pastors included, is that when those sanctuary doors are flung open, there's going to be emails. There's going to be memos from your boss. There's going to be mixed messages from your friends, from your family, from your neighbor. There's going to be all sorts of things that culture, that society, that your workplace, that even ourselves will tell us, you ought, you shall, you should, so on and so forth. And we do all those things. But at its very core, the baptismal water says, Whatever you do, you are already loved. You don't need to prove anything to the Lord. Even if your boss wants those metrics or wants that good evaluation from you or a family member who's a, who expects A through Z. Grace and I are raising two teenage boys and they are just so wonderful. And our, our junior in high school is taking four APs. It's hard to believe that in 24 months he'll be off to college. And it's his third week in high school. He's a 16-year-old he's a driver. Carpools his, his little brother. He came home one day and said, boy, life is hard. <laughs> yeah, life is hard. <laughs> life is hard. He's learning 
to pay for his gas, pay for half the car repairs, while still doing well in school, while still participating in youth choir, while still doing the chores that won't diminish just because you're 16. What these waters say are at least three things. One, life is hard, but you are not alone. Matthew 28 says, I am with you to the end of the age. Period. You are not alone. You get that? You are not alone. Two, you are made worthy of God's love in Jesus because Jesus already lived, died, and rose again. We are able to be faithful because Jesus is faithful. And that's what baptism says. There's no more proving, even if you fail at this or that, God loves you and already approves of you, not because of what we've done or what degrees we have or what fine strategies we have, but because that Jesus already lived and continues to live for you and for the world. And number three, what baptism says is that you belong to a community, that life is about you. Yes, that's why we have to love ourselves, but not be narcissistic and just love ourselves. Because baptism says you belong to a community and you are made for a community. Jesus' mission was about the community to serve a community, you are for community. Our life together is constituted because of what the Lord does at these waters and continues to nourish us at this table as we hear of the word, as we fellowship with each other, as we enjoy all those opportunities that are summarized for you in the abundant living. Those are the ways in which we are community one to another so that the Lord is connecting us to one another in bonds of faith, hope, and love, and most importantly, to the bonds of love with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Join me in prayer as we join together as a community, praising God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you claim us and name us as your own sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. Thank you, O Lord, that you claim us and that you put us and make us as part of a community, a community of faith here at Village Church. Lord, we pray for your churches in every place, that you would help us, O oh Lord, to be faithful because Jesus Christ is faithful. We thank you, O oh God, for the promise of baptism, O oh Lord, that we indeed are not alone, that you are with us, and that your love is for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And the community says, amen.